welcome everybody to another episode of Steady Lads. I'm very excited about this one. Uh, so to start off, some introductions. I'm Jordi. I'm the CIO of Selena Capital. We have Justin here, the CEO of Astaria. Aiki, the humble farmer. And uh, Thicky from Scimitar. Uh, Thicky, you look a little different today. <laughs> I, got, I got a haircut today. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when the bull market, this is bull market Thicky. You know, he's, he's beefed up a little bit. <laughs> His shorts get liquidated and now he's, now he's cunty cakes. <laughs> So this is uh, this is JMO. JMO is one of the more entertaining content creators out there. You, you love shit posting, and uh, we're hoping to get some some nice quotes out of you today, JMO. Are you? I mean, I know you're an ex poker player, you know, extra, uh, extraordinaire on that side, and you kind of switched into crypto. Maybe you can tell us a little bit how like your world of poker to crypto kind of uh, collided. Uh, yeah, sure. So um, I got it in crypto pretty early, basically out of necessity. Um, like I was mainly an online poker player and um, I was living in the US and a legislation called UIGEA passed, which basically outlawed Americans from playing online poker. Um, but more importantly for me, um, it also limited like the interactions with online gambling sites and my U.S. banking. So like the, like I could easily move abroad, but the, the bigger issue would be moving funds back and forth and, and having liquidity on sites without ha going through traditional um, banking. So that that's how I uh, basically got it into crypto. I want to say like somewhere around 2011, 2012. Um, it, it was just mostly Bitcoin then, but I was I was pretty active in the Bitcoin com community. Like I was posting all the time on Bitcoin talk. Um, and like, I, I got into like, uh, I, I feel like quite a bit of, um, not really telegram groups, but like small social groups where people like interacted and, and talked about Bitcoin. I actually mined Bitcoin for a while when, when Ethereum came out, I, I, I mined Ethereum. Was that your first like, uh, shit coin Ethereum or did you get into like any of the early? No, no, no. I, I got in like way before, um, I, I think my, my, my first big shit coin position was a project called NXT, which was derived off the Ardor protocol. This was, I want to say, 2013, 2014. And it's actually pretty sick because I, I thought that was fantastic technology even to, to today. I think like the founding members are like, I mean, like it's defunct now, but I think the founding members were like uh, Sasha from Waves, um, Sergey from Link. Um, I forget who else, but like a, a few other people who have left that project and have spun up their, their own projects, but it was like a real brain trust of people and it was pre Ethereum. Um, and I think it was just like too early. It's for its time. But, uh, I, I feel like that was my first big shitcoin pump, I guess, before, uh, Ethereum came out. Sounds like Ethereum as well. Cause like you got all these like founders and then they, they kind of split off and each, each one launches their own own thing do you have an do you have a favorite uh, ethereum co-founder coin like uh, ada or dot or like any of the other long time ago i was a big fan of our chain i don't know if you know anything about our chain but it's greg greg maxwell's project um for, from speaking with uh ethereum developers in the past i i was actually like pretty involved in the ethereum community just through like a bunch of my friends who were like basically on the ground floor developing ethereum like i remember one time this was like maybe six months after ethereum uh launch there was like a conference where vitalik and like uh vlad and like a, a few of those other guys came to speak and no one knew who they were at the time and like some of my friends like it, it took them out and <laughs> this is a pretty funny story but like um if, if you take them out that they don't want to go to like a club or like a bar or something so so what they did was that they had a meetup that there's like this 
how would I describe it? It's like a kid's play area where there's like a, it's like a bouncy castle or like a trampoline castle. So like that they all went there and just like bounced around for a few hours. Um, that that was my first interaction with like a, a bunch of the uh, OG Ethereum people. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would say, so like from what I was told that like um, uh, our chain, especially Greg Maxwell, that, that they were developing basically a version of Ethereum um, like for proof of stake at the time that was substantially better than like the the current version of Ethereum. Um, so I, I punted a decent amount on that. Um, other than that. Um, I, I guess I like Gavin. Yeah, I mean, curious to your thoughts on the uh, L1s. Although we definitely want to start with with the main topic, because you know the Ethereum, let's say doubts and underperformance, and you have an yeah. epic tweet thread that. Uh, I mean, Justin, you're 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 quite an ETH maxi, right? Like uh, publicly, I I wouldn't say I'm maxing that. Like I, you know. Uh, in the last bull market, I was like willing and happy to try every chain. I'm also very excited, like and love that there's other chains trying new things, like Solana, etc. You know, I'm not as interested in the EVM chains that are just sort of like forks. You know, it's it's not that I dislike Bitcoin. I just hold I don't hold any because I it's not something that excites me. You know, like all we can do with Bitcoin is talk about the price, which is sort of meh with Ethereum. And other smart contract blockchains, you can actually talk about what's being built, which is a lot more exciting to me. But, but yeah, I am shocked by the ETH BTC underperformance, and I, it 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 doesn't make much sense to me. But I think it's it's mostly narrative driven, and and that's the way things are. So I'm not too worried about it, and I'm not, you know, it's not like I'm swapping my ETH to BTC right now. I think it's a little late to do that. Obviously, <laughs> I wish I did a few months ago, but here we are. I mean, Bitcoin's starting to get a few. Uh you know, other use cases, right? Like I saw there's a friend tech fork on Bitcoin, I think. They're starting to put some stuff on there. I, I don't know if you guys know anything about um, Paul Storick and um, BIP300, um, but he, like he's building drive chains or, or side chains for Bitcoin. So there's going to be smart contract functionality and quite a few things like a, a token issuance, escrow services, stuff like that, that you could use on Bitcoin. Um, it, it's in the works. I mean, the, the, the idea has been in the works forever, but um, he's recently got it funded and off the ground. Taiki, would you be more interested in Bitcoin if those kind of projects start to appear there? Yeah, like for me, like, uh, like I, I use DeFi. Um, I manage my portfolio on chain. Um, and like like Justin said, um, I can actually use Ethereum. Um, I can actually, you know, like when, when I first used Aave, that was kind of like the light bulb moment for me uh, saying, oh, wow, like this can actually change. Um, like, you know, it's literally the future of finance. Um, and, you know, Bitcoin, I mean, I started out as a Bitcoin maxi, to be honest. Um, and then I slowly, you know, rotated to either um, and you know that's kind of shaped how um, I started like to invest uh, in the space um, but you know there's been hype around smart contracts on Bitcoin for a while now right it's like stacks you know saw some pump um, but even stacks like like is it, like there's like nothing you can do there's like one dex um, and it's like purely like some like super janky one um, and if you would try to swap um, I think it takes like 30 minutes to actually execute. Um, do you guys have thoughts on like these Bitcoin sidechains slash L2s? Like, do you think it's real or is it more like forced narrative? Yeah, I personally think that these um, like Bitcoin smart contract layers don't make much sense because they don't do anything different or add anything new. I think it's sort of similar to our chat we had a couple weeks ago about layer twos and how they can differentiate when they're all sort of the same and like what Jordy's bringing to Mantle to sort of try to differentiate. And for me, I think, you know, the same is is very much true with these Bitcoin smart contract chains. It's like, 
to get on DeFi right now, when you're you're in the EVM ecosystem or whatnot, it's already quite challenging. And then to ask users to shift to Bitcoin for no marginal benefit for really just not like the opposite of improvement, right? It's there's going to be less infrastructure. It's going to be harder to interact with, slower, clunkier, etc. All of those things. I don't see the value prop to the user personally. And just to take the other side, though, I mean, start starting with just Bitcoin the asset. I know it's a little bit boring, you know, you as as an asset, but I don't know if it was uh, Jack Dorsey, but uh, there was this like response on Twitter a couple of years ago that like Bitcoin is DeFi, like Bitcoin itself is a decentralized financial asset because it as an asset, it that's that's exactly what it is, and the benefit of having that as a native rather than you know on Ethereum, it's yeah you can have WBTC. You're trusting BitGo, or you can have some other type of BTC, which we, you know, we've seen some of them fail. Ultimately, there will probably be some better technology, you know, past Thorchain, some maybe some Stargate thing where you can very easily get native um, swaps, and that will start to allow a bit more uh, interaction with, you know, the Ethereum ecosystem. But I think Bitcoin is exciting in the sense of now that we're seeing wars happen and we're seeing bonds fall apart. It's an asset that it starts to play a macro role. Um, as a macro guy, I, I know like uh, not everybody's macro guy, but I find it a little bit interesting. But um, regardless of like whether we're on one side or the other side, the, the price has been talking. And man, I mean, during I know it's the ETF and everything else, but it's been quite an underperformance for ETH, even compared to altcoins. Usually, it's like regardless of whether the curve is up or down between like. BTC in the long tail, ETH will kind of be in the middle, you know, like if, uh, yeah. if it's altcoin season, ETH will also outperform Bitcoin, but now it's just, it's just a V shape <laughs> and, and it feels like it's like the, it's this cartoon meme of the, the bell curve where if you're in the middle, you're kind of suffering. Um, so we wanted to bring JMO on even before this all started, uh, you've been talking about how ETH is kind of temporarily stuck in this no man's land. And I'd love to bring up uh, this thread and ask you, you know, your thoughts. I mean, there's, there's, there's quite a few pieces of, of, of this thread, but this is one of the epic ones here. So you say ETH is great at times when 150 IQ people can take money from hundred IQ people who can take money from 80 IQ people. So it's kind of like this PVP, PVP, and as long as you're not at the bottom of the barrel and you know, all the other birds are not shitting on you. <laughs> you're able to use this game. It's kind of like playing poker and there's different stakes, but you, you can make money. Um, has that changed? No, I, I think, um, I mean, if, if you guys think that uh, the biggest use case for Ethereum, at least in, in your eyes, is decentralized finance, I, I would say that like a majority of the profits from the previous cycles um, in decentralized finance weren't weren't real yield or were sort of fabricated out of thin air or within like a sort of PVP framework where if you're making yield, um, the, 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 there's someone losing that yield rather than, you know, like a PVE environment where you're like you're providing a service and other people are making that yield off the service. So like I, I'd say if you go back to the start of DeFi summer, it started because like the Fed interest rates were zero and then there was a huge boost in stable coins. Um, and even if you go back to 2017, the whole ICO cycle, I feel like DeFi summer was just a continuation of that, just like redressed in the same way. Like we called it ICOs back then. And now you have like IDOs, IEOs, launch pads, you have governance tokens. They're essentially the same thing. I mean, they're just like money printed out of thin air given to 
to, to people. And then like you run incentives for say pool twos, and then you have like your, your 50 IQ people aping into the pool twos to be extra liquidity for your like 80 IQ people. Yeah. I wonder like Taiki, like you were, you were farming, you know, the hell out of uh, DeFi summer. Did you ever wonder like when you're dumping into pool twos, like who, who is buying, like who's on the other side of buying some random coin there? Yeah. Like, I mean, like during the peak of the bull market, I had no idea like what the fuck was going on. Like I remember I, I was on Polygon and I was entering these goose finance forks where let's, if you deposit like $10,000 into this farm, uh, the protocol itself will take 4% like of the deposit fee. And then with 2%, they buy back the token and 2%, uh, you know, they, the, the team keeps it. Uh, so it's like a pure farm token, but the token kept going up because people thought that, Hey, like this is the future of finance, even though it make it like made no sense. So as long as you were early, like, you know, the people after you, they would pay the deposit fee to buy back the token. And that would like, just like dump the token in perpetuity. And that would still make money. It was so confusing. Um, but yeah, I, I do agree. Like, yeah, I, I got into like, like Panther swap on, on Binance smart chain. And, um, like, I feel like, I feel like Binance smart chain was, was filled with those forks where you would have like these deposit fee Ponzi's for like, in order to deposit LP, you had to pay 5% of your, your LP. Um, but then you were making, you were making it back if you're in early in the pools for within like a few hours. So like the, 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 there were days where I was just like, sitting, I was making like $20,000 an hour, just like staring at this. The, the, the shitty UI too, like thinking to myself, this, this is absolutely ridiculous. But uh, yeah, like in the end, the, that stuff that, that made ETH great at that time isn't, isn't sustainable because like now you have a more intelligent person that realizes, yeah, well, we can't provide liquidity in pool twos. And then like, we can't just like fork uh, a, a DEX, fork a governance token and make sure we get, we get your thesis. So you're saying, all of this DeFi summer, all this stuff was basically built on people bidding L2, bidding like pull two tokens and either they're very unsophisticated or they're just trying to gamble or, you know, I would say like a third category is probably uh, VCs that couldn't get into better deals. So, you know, they just had to FOMO into whatever, you know, yeah. random other ones there were. I, I think I think the thesis is basically like the, the the gains that were made during this time weren't gains because like the protocol uh, Ethereum and the protocols built on Ethereum were awesome and people were were using them. The, the the gains were made because there were people less smart than you that were losing money to you. Um, but like on face, if you provide liquidity, you don't really see that interaction. But I, I feel like that's only part of the thesis. Like. Because the, the the use cases for Ethereum, like I think, expand a decent amount outside of DeFi, and I feel like a lot of those theses have been invalidated as well. I think you're sort of missing the point, in my opinion. Opinion. I think um, you're obviously looking at what happened in the past and what didn't work then, which makes sense. But if Ethereum is a forward-looking bet, right? I think in the same way that that Bitcoin is, though. I think Ethereum is just sort of like a, a levered way to do that. Um, you know, when I buy Ethereum, right, I'm not buying it because of like a goose fork that happened in DeFi summer. I'm buying yeah. it for what it, it could be in the future. Like I view it very much as a, a growth play, right? We should definitely get into like some of the other potential use cases of Ethereum and judge those. But just take, just to wrap up on the DeFi aspect and whether like DeFi summer was just this big bubble driven by pool two tokens or, you know, I would say like the counter, the counterpoint would be that everything deflated and then we still have things like Aave, things like Compound, things like Light. Like there are still protocols that have very high market value, 
even after the air got taken out? What do you think about that? I, I would I would I would disagree with that. If you look at any metric on chain metric, like it everything is down quite a bit. Like the, the stablecoin issuance on on Ethereum is down like sixty percent. Like the, 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 there, there's more stablecoin transactions by a ton on Tron. There's there's more USDT issued on Tron because it's it's a cheaper chain. Uh, like the the curve TVL, like what used to be like one of the biggest protocols, the is down ninety percent. Like the the, the new daily active users is down. Uh, also, a, a lot of the the liquidity still provided on chain is legacy liquidity. Like like for example, Uniswap still has liquidity, even though like within their their new version, a majority of the uh, LP providers are actually losing money. And if if they came to realize that that they're losing money, they would pull the like financially that they're not incentivized to to provide liquidity. So, I mean, you talk about like the, the future use case of Ethereum and you, and you talk about like, yeah, sure, sure, Aave is awesome. But you have to remember that, like, if you use Aave as an example, a, a lot of the initial growth of Aave was incentivized. Like they, they, they use their own token to incentivize new chains, to, to incentivize both, both sides of the borrows and lends. And, and when those incentives dry out, like the TVL, the, the actual use to return, goes down quite a bit and, and a lot of the liquidity left right now is non-competitive with what people could be doing with the money elsewhere and it's just due to like laziness or you know just ha having these legacy positions and not moving them what, what would you say like, the counter argument that like yeah it's incentivized at the beginning and so was curve and everything else but ultimately there is a mode being built because these protocols if they don't if they manage not to get hacked for a long time they kind of prove lindiness if I have the option between like, you know, 2% yield on something that's very safe, like Aave or like 4%, some new thing that like has, has no lindiness, it might still have a moat, right? Like it, it could still kind of prove itself out. Yeah, I think my position though, is that like a lot of the, the LP positions right now aren't like um, they're they're not really logical. So, so here's an example. If, I think there's still like fifty million dollars in Curve three pool. Uh, three pool is USDT, USDC, and Dai. The, the yield on that is sub one percent. Like, is there any reason for anyone to have any liquidity in Curve three pool? Like, you have not only counterparty risk, uh, you you have like a protocol risk, and you're getting you know basically less than you would by a huge margin, say, putting it in like uh, UST bills, you know, it's like, so like a, a lot of these positions in my eyes don't really make any sense. So like, I, I, I guess the bull case is that like volumes increase and liquidity increases, but I, I think in the future, like if, if like the current state of the economics of DeFi keeps up, pe people are more incentivized to pull their liquidity um, than add more liquidity. Is your, is your bull case that we get, instead of competing with the 5% yields, we just bring them in and then we add on top of it and that starts to become more compelling. Yeah, I, I totally agree, JMO. Like, I feel like like the one realization I had is that, you know, DeFi products like on its own, like just suck, right? Like on-chain native products just can't provide enough value to entice people to actually lock capital in. Um, and I think, you know, like the money that's in the curve three pool, I think some of it is like literally hackers that literally just deposit LP. So like Tether can't freeze their funds. Um, and the entire thesis is, okay, like, why would I, you know, put stable coins in this thing earning like, like 7% uh, when I can put it into T-bills. Um, and I think like my bull case for DeFi potentially recovering is creating like real world assets um, or like these tokenized treasuries or yield bearing dollars. Um, and that way, right, like 
DeFi right now is like a closed loop system, but if you have external cash flows coming in from off-chain to on-chain, then can that actually create more value? Like, you know, you can make composable smart contracts um, within like yield-bearing dollars. Um, and instead of like LPing for ETH and USDC on Uniswap, just like underperforming, you can potentially LP for staked ETH, staked DAI. And, you know, both assets are yielding. Uh, like, what do you think about like your old assets? Yeah, um, I, I I like what um, a lot of like, for example, the Spark protocol using Dai. Um, I, I, I like that pivot. Um, I'm not sure if it's like actually very competitive because if you think about it, like um, like in theory, you're competing with you know just depositing it your money to a brokerage and, and buying T bills, right? So like, let's say the Fed interest rate is five percent. Um, if if you 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 have a counterparty that's like FDIC insured, you also don't have you know smart contract risk, protocol risk. Um, not only that, like in general, like these companies that are bringing uh, real world assets to chain, they're probably going to take a percentage of the yield. Um, I, I mean, like it's essentially that the same model is like what USDT is doing, right? Like USDT is taking your money and depositing it in the T bills, but they're just not paying you any of the yield. So if if a company has the same model as, as USDT, but then pays you a portion of the yield. It's better than like the, the the current system, but I'm not sure that it's actually competitive with like what people can do with money outside of DeFi. And, and in addition, I, I feel like the the, the crypto crowd um, doesn't really get excited for stuff like this. You know, like it, people are in crypto to either lose a hundred percent or like win a hundred percent. You know, they're 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 in it for like mass gains or uh, mass losses. And I feel like it's a difficult selling point to say like, ah, yeah, you can deposit your money. And then like in two years, it'll go up like 10%. That's, I mean, it's in theory great and it's a sustainable ecosystem, but I'm not sure if it's that uh, appealing for the crypto native person. One quick thing I, I want to say about that. And then also about what you mentioned about Uniswap LP positions. Again, I think this is sort of missing the point. Like when you provide liquidity to Uniswap, you are putting on a trade. We know that most people that trade, not you know just through Uniswap, but most people that short-term trade lose, right? And so like people still do things that lose them money because they think they can make money. I would argue it's the same for Uni LP. If you're providing liquidity there, you're putting on a trade. You know you can lose money. You know you can make money, but that doesn't stop people from doing it. Um, and then, And then to your point about accessing treasury yield on chain. I think this is probably where Jordy was heading because we, we talked about this a few weeks ago as well, where that risk-free rate is not actually accessible to everybody, right? It's very US-centric, exclusive. And it. I agree with you, it's not necessarily crypto native, but I think like the point of all this is to expand beyond that, right? Like if we're just thinking about how to serve the 10,000 <laughs> users that are actually still on chain every day, um, we're sort of missing the point. Yeah, the amount of DGENs is like very loud and very visible, but there, I would say like there is a, a lot of people that use crypto, maybe mostly, you know, just hold Bitcoin and Ethereum, but they're out there and they just want to have a stable, good financial kind of savings. And, you know, they, they're not trying to 100x or, or nothing <laughs> their entire bag, even though those people are, uh, you know, very loud. I think I think that's fair. Um, with regards to Uniswap, I, I understand that like it's, like when you provide liquidity on an automated market maker, you're essentially like um, you're setting up a trade or you're making like a range of trades. Um, but to the average person, I, I think like, I mean, I, I'm, I don't know this for a fact, but I, I think 
a lot of people don't realize that's the case. And when they look at like providing liquidity that they think they're, they're just providing liquidity and gaining fees um, without thinking about the, you know, the, the, the negative outcomes or, or else, because like a, a lot of these positions, like th that are like the, the big liquidity pools on uh, Uniswap, a, a lot of these positions don't really make sense for people to hold if, if they have like a, you know, like a shorter long bias. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to like talk out of line in terms of some of these Uniswap like LPs and stuff, but I heard, you know, it's not substantiated, but I've heard definitely rumors being told to me that a lot of these big LP positions are, are from some of the major VCs that are, you know, backing Uniswap and they're, you know, providing liquidity as part of that investment. And, you know, if they're making 10X on their investment and they're losing a little bit on IL, you know, in, in out of one pocket, I, I don't want to get, yeah. uh, you know, too specific because nothing, nothing I can talk about, you know, fully substantiated, but we see this type of stuff as well, right? Like I'll, I'll lose a little bit, but I'll, I'll help provide liquidity and then kind of show this use case. I, I, I also think that, um, like in general, talking about DeFi, um, there hasn't been much innovation that has been, at least to me, there hasn't been much innovation that it has been exciting since maybe like 2020. Uh, I mean, like I'm, I'm just thinking about like the the, the, the big um, uh, the, the, the big things that that have come out this year. Like months ago, we were talking about like hamster racing on chain, and uh, <laughs> what, 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 was was the, what was the other um, like uh, Telegram bots and you know stuff like that. And like in in 2020, like or end of 2019, we had like Uniswap, we had um, like Ave Compound stuff like that. So this is stuff that like actually made sense and was like actual paradigm changers. And like I feel like in in, in the past like two to three years, like we haven't really had anything that really moved the needle. And most of the stuff was either like forks of pre-existing projects with some like different tokenomics that, that 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 made like the token slightly more valuable but it, in general it, it didn't really change much of like the actual protocol design or what you can do on chain i would totally yeah concede to that um yeah there's been very like almost no zero to ones over the last two years i i completely agree but just to you know argue with that a little bit because people often say that it hasn't been innovation in a while and that's true but uh, when, we, when we look at innovation from a first principles perspective how much is there to innovate on because either you you know you put money in this box like SBF who's uh, I'm hearing about the take trial now so uh, <laughs> you put money in a box if, if the box the box is close to the real world and you have no real world yield which is obviously what we're trying to do now but if, if you don't then it's more it's like the payoff function. All you can do is create different like payoff distributions. So, you know, a lottery ticket, everybody puts in a dollar and then one person wins like a million dollars because there's a million people. That's, that's like one payoff distribution. And you try to match up creating value by aligning like people's utility curves with like, you know, their outcomes because maybe they don't care about losing $1, but they're, you know, they're dreaming about the million or other people you know, you create like these options vaults where, oh, I'll give up some of the upside, but then I just want like a, you know, an extra yield as a covered call. You start yeah. to create these like financial products, but they're all around creating payoff functions, right? And like creative payoff functions. And there's only so much you can innovate. I would say the only thing you can really innovate is on the entertainment factor. So things like, you know, betting on hamsters or people or creating this like, 
poker element potentially where there's some skill, there's some strategy and people are yeah. trying to figure out like blur air from, air from dropping was kind of like that thing. Like people were yeah. bidding on NFTs they didn't want. And what do you think about innovation on that side? I mean, I, I think like when I talk about innovation, I, I, I think it doesn't have to be, you know, like a zero sum thing where if, if there, there's there, there's no other funds coming from from outside sources, there still can be innovation where like participants in the ecosystem can be putting money into the ecosystem, but deriving some sort of value outside of like the monetary aspect. And then people like providing that service or, or providing like whatever that they're able to provide with assets they have on chain or like liquidity or their time or, or whatever, sort of gaining um, like the upside to that. So then you develop like actual economies where like if, if like, for example, if, if like block space is is useful and you can do like a certain amount with like a certain amount of, of block space where people will come and, and use that, that that block space if you provide a service. I, I mean, I'm, I'm just speaking hypothetically. If I had if I had this all solved, I'd be I'd be way richer than I am right now. <laughs> but I, I, I think that like these these types of like protocols or economies can be built on chain. But like in my eyes, the, the, there hasn't been any. Uh, innovation in, in like the past few years to, to to draw users that want to use this chain outside of like the monetary gain, which I talked about earlier is like mostly PVP, like the, the monetary gain that you make on chain right now, a majority of it is basically taking money from people who are less good at what you're doing. Yeah. Let's bring up the top of the, you know, the, the full tweet, because you, you make a couple other points that are not relevant to DeFi, but more broader around some of the other mm -hmm. reasons why, why people, uh, you know, like to hold ETH. So uh -huh. uh, you say we're at a point where, okay, so ETH is no longer deflationary. This was something that I had predicted a while ago, and now it's coming into play where, you know, that, that whole thesis of ultrasound money is, uh, is not that clean. So yeah. you're saying, um, we're not at a sustainable fee structure because you're saying like long-term, do you think with, even with L2s, like we will, will not be able to have sustainable fees? Um, the, I think the current state of L2s, um, it's, they're okay, but they're even like the L2 fees aren't competitive with like, like alternate L1s right now. Uh, ETH base, base layer is def still e even like, previous to this week at like its lowest fees in two years, it is still, it is still not competitive. I, I think this is a good example. So um, the, 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 there are some protocols that are developed um, for like the dy dynamic ranges, like adjusting dynamic ranges on like the, the current Uniswap model, it would be basically uh, uh, you, you can adjust the range in, in real time in order to like maximize yield and also maybe like hedge your risk on perpetuals or, or whatever, um, which makes sense for a lot of people. However, like it's impossible to do on Ethereum right now because you'd be making like a Uniswap transaction like every second, right? Because like if 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 uh, if, if the price of like these long tail assets move very quickly, then you're going to have to rebalance in time. Whereas the, the, there's other alternate chains where like this this technology like in theory can exist. So I, I feel like that there are like quite a few limiting factors, even even at when gas rates are very low, that they're that they're still not competitive with other chains at, at that point where the like there are a bunch of innovations um, that can happen, um, but or it can happen in theory, but can't happen due to the like the the, the state of Ethereum, like the way it's built. It's like a shared state machine. Um, it, it's it's 
the, the network wide, wide gas is the same. Basically, every DAP sh 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 shares the, the 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 same gas fee. I feel like stuff like that are pretty big limitations in the overall design of Ethereum. Are you bullish like cheaper chains like Solana? I know the Solana community is like very strong right now. Um, I'm I'm pretty bullish Solana as a chain. I'm not sure about the token. I I, I feel like the the, the the actual technology on Solana is is quite good, and it gets like a really bad reputation for it, it going out a few years ago at a few times when people were spamming the network, which was like by the way just like the easiest fix of all time. Like it, it wasn't really an an issue for them. It was just like that they actually solved it by 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 setting up like certain fee markets where if like one protocol uses like is is um is sending yeah. so many transactions that then like that's with that specific sector of the chain like the fees go up whereas everywhere where else it stays the same so yeah I, I think the protocol design is very good um it's questionable whether the the value of the the chain goes back to the token itself i'm glad you brought that up actually jamo because it's it's something that i think very few people actually make that distinction because they think, oh yeah, you know, it's getting adoption, it's good tech, you know, I'll buy, buy the token as if, and we'll talk about this uh, later on in the episode as well, but it's this like assumption that the token will like represent the value of something or how good it is, that it will, it will just intrinsically get that value and give it to you. And yeah. if it's not actually giving cash flow and it's not, you know, Bitcoin type of, you know, actually actual money. Yeah. The best you can go for is what I call community money. And, and I want to get your thoughts on that because something like Solana, the fees, even if you burn the fees, oh, we're going to EIP 1557 on Solana and then we're going to burn the fees. You're paying like, you know, fractions of, of like a millicent. Yeah. Here and there, you're not going to make a hundred billion of, uh, of fees, even if you, you know, you waited decades. So the concept of like just buying this token because the tech is good, we're not we're not we're not exactly uh, closing the loop. How do you close that loop? So I think I think the I think the bull case um, for chains like this where that there isn't like um, like uh, I think Solana is probably the, like the best example, but it, it chains that essentially don't charge fees, therefore like the. the the arbitration would say, well, like the value doesn't go back to the token. If if you build a chain that like has good technology that you can build a community around, the community will will build infrastructure that incorporates like the the token itself. So like if if there are better DeFi protocols that can be built on Solana, they'll incorporate the the Solana token. So, so suddenly, if, if you can hold Solana and then do, do like cool stuff on DeFi, it cre creates intrinsic demand for Solana regardless of of what fees are paid. To to the blockchain so like right now on solana the, there there's a whole um lst movement going basically um it's it's similar to like the, the lsts on on ethereum but the, the, there are quite a few different um projects that are building like their own versions of lsts and like having small nuanced differences and that there's like reasonable amount of competition uh within those and then like you can do cool stuff like um uh, mint synthetic stable coins uh, against your 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 Solana, and then you stake your Solana. You get the yield from Solana. It's similar to like if you deposited. I mean, it's it's not the the greatest example, but it's similar to if you get like yield off chain. Yeah, let's look at some of the real world examples. Have, have any of you guys gotten into like trading sports cards or stamps or like any of these kind of things? Uh, a while ago, yeah, I I traded some Pokemon cards like a while back, but a uh, long time ago. 
did you do any of these like uh on chain ones like nba top shot um no but i i've 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 always had like a very very bearish take on like nfts and like i i, I feel like nfts are like the the bane of like a lot of the, the last cycle's existence i have friends who are like really into this stuff you know baseball cards basketball cards they they, they they're like super deep into it and i've yeah. watched them over the years and i've watched kind of like the highs and lows and this is a great example of something that is sort of community money because it's like in-game currency. Like you described Solana. Oh, you know, if they do some good games and then the in-game currency gets value just because, you know, pe people are playing it. It yeah. reminds me a lot of, of these things. And what we've learned over the years of uh, uh, having people try to you know, get obsessed about baseball cards is that supply and demand rules everything. And as soon as, you know, the, the creator gets a little bit greedy, and starts creating more supply, the whole thing falls apart because the people who are a part of it no longer have that faith and belief in the future of, you know, yeah. like, if I just get the right card, I can make money because suddenly they're getting dumped on by like a greedy, you know, card developer who is just flooding the market. And this happened with NBA Top Shot. I think that was like a, a huge yeah it, it was it was it was way too inflationary right like the, the the issue is is like that there's only a certain number of players in the nba and like that they play every day so the, the idea of nba top shot was like you would like forever remember a moment but then like that the, there's thousands <laughs> of, of games that, that, that constantly get played so like like the the, the inflation on, on on the i think they're all called moments right there um yeah yeah but the, like the, the inflation is insane to a point where like it just drove it to the ground like that the, they're all worthless so thinking about like alt l1s potentially as or even ethereum as you know this kind of community money um if you imagine you know the next few years where the, the supply is going to increase again and like people are going to get dumped on just like they got baseball cards dumped on them yeah. that starts to like destroy a community in my opinion a community is strong when supply is limited you know, there's no unlocks keep happening. There's no super centralized holder that can, you know, just get greedy one day and uh, and dump it. And this is why I'm long term much more bullish on on ETH than than these other chains. You seem to have a counter argument around ETH. I I I feel like yeah, I feel like you're underestimating like the supply overhang of ETH. So where does that come from? Because it's all unlocked, right? Yeah, it's it, it's all unlocked, which like may be a bad thing because like if if it's like for example if Solana is locked, you know it's not being dumped on you. But if like the, the entire Ethereum supply is locked, I, I mean, it, just look at the Ethereum distribution. Like of the current supply, I think like around like fifty to sixty percent was sold in during ICO to maybe like a couple of thousand participants. Um, like the like fifteen to twenty percent went to like Vitalik and the founders and the Ethereum Foundation. Um, the 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 business model of the Ethereum Foundation is dumping Ethereum on you. That that's literally how they they make money. How much do they, how much do they even have left? And like eight years in, hasn't that sort of been? It's not as good as Bitcoin, but it's it's gotten a distribution that is you know far and away compared to something like Solana or or Avalanche. Yeah, sure, but I I feel like. So, like the the, the initial dis distribution of Ethereum wasn't great during the 2017 ICO cycle. A, a lot of that distribution was consolidated into like now defunct projects. Like I think there's probably like five to ten billion dollars in like the treasuries of like off the top of my head stuff like 
Golem, Argon, like essentially, if you got into crypto last cycle, you would ha wouldn't have heard of these projects. But but they have like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of, of Ethereum just like sitting around. Um, Vitalik himself, even though he he says he's not selling ETH anymore, um, he's just like setting up third party companies to 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 sell his ETH in order to be an effective altruist or do it do whatever he's doing like a, a lot of the a, a lot of the original ethereum people that like bought the ethereum icos that they have dormant addresses um that they were not participants in DeFi summer they were not participants in, in any of the you know like the actual on-chain activity but at some point that's going to be supply overhang that needs to be sold i, I think i imagine that's around like 20 or 30 percent of the supply still um right. I mean, I understand that like the distribution of Ethereum is substantially better better than like a lot of these like 2019 VC backed layer ones. But like, I, I feel like people don't understand. People think like Ethereum is like this amazing decentralized coin where like there's been like a proper distribution of it through like the entire community and there isn't like one big holder. Whereas, I mean, e Ethereum had an ICO that they sold like 60% of the current supply, like in an ICO to a limited number of people. You're agreeing that like directionally it's, it is, you know, much better, but you're, you're saying it's not that good. You're kind of like, yeah, I, I, I think, I think like the, I think people underestimate the or overestimate the 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 difference in the impact of like the supply overhang between something like AVAX and something like Ethereum. Yeah, I mean, you make a ton of great points about the bear case for crypto broadly, and that like no one wants to pay for a transaction, and if you're not paying for a transaction, that where does the value accrue? I think those are valid. I think the talking about the ETH supply overhang is a little. It, it applies to all of crypto. I'm not disagreeing with the thesis, but I don't think it's exclusive to ETH. I think also the same is very much true for Bitcoin. The distribution is very bad. And then also like Michael Saylor is clearly someone you wouldn't want holding Bitcoin over the like ETH and the ETH Foundation. So Michael Saylor holds about $5 billion of Bitcoin. The ETH Foundation holds about a billion. That was that number is a year old. I just looked it up. And so like if I'm looking at that, I'm, I'm seeing the same sort of problems with both chains. And then I don't think that the soul being locked up, which I actually don't think it is, uh, changes much. So I think all of the chains have this issue. I don't think it's exclusive to ETH or soul. It's also for BTC. I'm not saying it's exclusive. I actually think like the, the supply distribution for ETH is substantially better than like what it is for Solana. But I, I, I'm just saying that it's like, it's closer than you think, I feel like. I feel like the narrative is that like, especially with like these newer layer ones that the, the VCs hold all, all the coins and that they're either vested and like there's vesting clips and the vesting clips mean that they're just going to be market dumped on you, which I, I don't think is the case. And then like to contrary, the the Ethereum supply, um, I, I, I don't think it's distributed in a way where basically a majority of the supply is held by long-term users that believe in like Ethereum and the Ethereum ecosystem. I, I think it's heavily concentrated to people that, that got in early. Do you think Bitcoin is, is different or it's on the same level as Ethan as far as that? Um, I, I think it's uh, Bitcoin is, uh, I wouldn't say substantially, but like quite a bit different. Um, just because I guess there were early miners and then like the, the early blocks of Bitcoin generated quite a few more Bitcoins, but the, the, there wasn't like uh, an ICO sale limited to like 
I, I think it was like like five thousand wallets, but like a lot of the wallets were like civil wallets. But the, the sale is sort of it's sort of like where are we at today? Like who's holding what? I mean, I, I, we can pull up the exact numbers, but I think like you know ninety something percent of the supply of Bitcoin is probably held by like five percent of wallets, and the same is certainly true for ETH. And then in yeah. addition to that, you also have these sort of like forced future sellers, whether it's the EF with a billion dollars, Michael Saylor with five billion. Yeah. So I, it's possible that Bitcoin is marginally better, whereas like maybe 6% of addresses hold 90% of the supply in ETH, it might be 7 or 8%. But I think like yeah. on balance, they're pretty similar. Is That would be my guess, but we should pull up the numbers. The, the distribution matters incredibly much for assets that are not cash flow generative. Like it's not just burning fees and, or getting, getting cash flows. Distribution matters a ton for the community and also for the sustainability. And also for like limiting supply, the supply of some of these L1s has killed them already. And it's killed our communities in the same way as like Terra, you know, had like the strongest community. And then as soon as like that happened in yeah. a very concentrated amount of time where like, you know, in a single week, the supply washed out the community because it was infinite amount of uh, Luna getting printed. Yeah. Uh, but we're seeing the slow motion versions of that with Polkadot, you know, arguably some of the other ones, uh, Phantom. I don't know. What, what's your what's your takes on like things like Avalanche? It, it's not great. I, I would say that um, one thing I think they have going for them is that like a lot of the initial VC uh, funded layer ones had like pretty um, long term vesting cliffs, and a lot of the the VCs sold a decent portion of their positions that were vested at discount so that in theory would remove some sort of the long-term sell pressure. Like if I was, I, I, I made a tweet that I was long dot into the, the 400 million or whatever it was um, unlocked this week. It just because I, I know for a fact that like the, the, these VCs were, had been selling their allocations for like the past year and a half. And like a, a lot of the, the centralized um, entities like, like Coinbase or whatever that that listed dot that had these positions would be like very slow moving. Like I I don't see a guy at Coinbase like looking at a timer and waiting for the dot unlock in order to to, to dump their position. So uh, Demo, you're already uh, you're already trying to win Dijon of the week. You're you're long into a four hundred million <laughs> unlock. I mean that. <laughs> I don't know if we're even gonna be able to beat that later. We'll see. Um, I want to quickly. Uh, pivot to some of the non-L1 ideas. Do we think there's anything good on things like uh, Link? I know you had a tweet out. You, you don't seem to be very uh, very happy with Link Marines, uh, JMO. Is it the community or is it the, the, the project that gets to you? It's, it's, it's the community. It's the community and specifically like the thought leaders in the community that like I feel are super, super toxic. Because like in their eyes, okay, so... In my eyes, Link, although they offer some other services, like 98% of what they do is provide price feed oracles. And if you say that to someone who is like like a Link Marine, they'll be like, oh, you don't understand Link. We actually do seven different things and stuff like that, <laughs> which is fine. Whatever, maybe you do. But like for, for, for like the rest of us who, who don't use any of those other services, like you're essentially like a price oracle feed. But like the, the, the biggest problem I have with them is the community. I don't even know how this community came about because it, like 
normally these communities are limited to like meme projects where like you know everyone wants to pump a token but like a majority i feel like a majority of these people that are holding this token don't actually use any of the services that that Chainlink provides. That that like even they probably don't use like something like GMX or or something that like a borrow lend platform that 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 uses Oracle pricing. That they're just like holding this token and just being angry about it on on, on Twitter. And then there's a whole community of people that basically will will shit on any other project that is competing with link for for no other reason like like for example if a protocol gets exploited and they're using like a non-link oracle like the first response is oh you should have used chainlink instead of like figuring out like why the exploit happened and it, if it was related to like the oracle pricing at all and I'm like the, the whole thing is it was like absolutely ridiculous yeah I and mean, that's, that's the same for the ethereum community too right i mean like t after the top it was like oh like Oh, Avalanche is a fork of guess, like it's it's useless. Uh, wouldn't that say like wouldn't you say like that's like a good characteristic of a strong community? And if you view these coins as community money, like meme coins or however you're gonna like label it, um, maybe I mean, yeah, like what what do you what do you think about I guess like these top to quote unquote toxic communities? Yeah, I, I guess it's all all right, but I I don't really view Link as community money, right? Like the the bull case for link is they're going to provide these services and they're going to have like some sort of fee switch where like you're required to use link the their native token to, to pay for their services like i i i feel like if you talk to like the the people within link they're not going to tell you like well, we're we're building up a meme community to, to to have this community money to, to pump our token where people are like dressing up like marines and like running around in a circle like shilling the token like i i don't i don't think that that's like the yeah. goal of the project i i totally agree with you on this point like um stocks like look at home depot there's no home depot community like people are just buying because the company makes money and they're going to profit there's you know what i mean there's like there's no samsung community apple community there is an apple community and there's a tesla community and there's a GameStop. there is a tesla community i'll give you that but like at the end of the day people are actually buying these things for future cash flows whereas like i totally agree with you jmo that like that is not what's happening in crypto which i don't think is good like i don't think link should have to have a community to do well i think it should just do well because like the project makes money right if the yeah the, the, the project is good it's providing services and they'll eventually be able to monetize the services and drive value back to the token i feel like the, the, that should be the bull case of link i mean it is like the, the the best and worst thing about crypto that there's a lot of unsophisticated people that are participating you know they're not finance wall street types by that i mean and so mm -hmm. things like uh narratives matter more than they would in uh, in, in financial world and yeah. so, yeah, like something bad happens. There's people trying to make a narrative out of it. Oh, you should have done this. And then my, my thing, you should have done my thing. My coin yeah. would have saved you from, from this thing. <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then you have like things like the token switches. You, you mentioned a token switch. And I'm starting to get a little bit aggravated with projects that um, don't have token switch, don't have value accruing. And then the worst part that's starting to really get to me as an investor is when there's like an equity portion. Like we're seeing that with Uniswap, obviously, yeah. right now. Yeah. They're starting to charge for the front end, and that goes to yeah. equity holders, which apparently the employees are equity holders, so they're incentivized yeah. on that side. And then the the rest of us who just got some tokens because we liked, you know, the idea of the project and we bought into the the hype, we're, we're governing. We're governing. Yeah. Um. 
I I completely agree with that. Like I I feel like ninety like somewhere between like ninety five and ninety nine percent of like the tokens we have right now, if you look at like what they're used for and like what their bill case is, they're they're overvalued. I mean, like I think Uniswap is a good example. Like um, it's been like three almost four years since like the tokens released, right? And like the theory was, I mean, like initially they said like they were going to turn the fee switch, but they wanted to get around like security laws, but eventually they'll be able to do it. And like we're at, you know, like the the 80th like protocol upgrade where they, they, they're introducing like like regional censored like front ends, like a fee switch in the front end. And yet still absolutely no value goes back to the token itself. And it's sort of crazy, like the idea of not being a security. I mean... I've said this in you know 2021. These things are securities. We want them to be securities. We want them to accrue value from yeah. the, the work that's being done by the people around it. Yeah, we need to modernize securities laws that it does allow you know these transactions to take place in in some manner. Because if they're not securities, then they're just meme coins, and we're being forced to useless meme coins. I, I feel like uh, I feel like it's just a justification for projects to have a reason to provide no value for their token. Right, because like if if they can justify by it by saying like if we do this, we'll get in trouble with the law because it's a security if we provide value for the holders, but uh, we don't want to you know do anything illegal, so we're just going to provide no value. <laughs> it becomes a sort of plausible excuse for them to do what they're doing. It, it's brilliant, and also, I mean, just turning on the fee switch, right? Like, no one from the team has to even vote on this, right? Like, they can just let you know the community approve it. I, but I do wonder, and I'm, I want to ask you guys this, like, let's assume we live in this great world where the SEC allows tokens to be securities. There's no legal cover. Value can accrue to the token. The fee switch goes on. I still don't necessarily think that Uniswap Labs is now incentivized to monet, like to drive value to the token versus their equity because, you know, the, the insiders hold 100% of the equity and a much smaller portion of the token. So there's still going to be that bad incentive split um, unless maybe the SEC and Congress comes up with great regulations where you can't do both. <laughs> you can launch a token and that's your equity or or not. I, I feel like that may be true, but at least at that point, the incentives are a little bit aligned because like doing basic stuff to improve the protocol, to bring new users, to increase volume will like increase the value of the equity, but also increase like the, the fees paid to the token. So at least in that case, the incentives are a bit in line. Whereas like now, the like Uniswap Labs has no incentive at all besides like maybe having Uni in their tr treasury to to add any value to the token. I mean, I, th I think financially, what you can do is just have some inflation, you know, two percent inflation that goes to the team or whoever's providing value. And I've been seeing this controversially around Bitcoin as well. That I'm a bit worried once the uh, the rewards go away, the block rewards go away, because we do want to have a little bit of inflation to align incentives with whoever's supposed to be providing value to maintain the thing. And that's a way potentially for a core team to just, even if they don't have tokens, they just get some 2% uh, new token. And, and that's a nice way it can happen. I feel like that's a pretty big criticism of Bitcoin is that like the block having and like the rewards in the future, because it's a proof of work uh, chain, it won't be able to sustain like the network security, um, which is why I'm like bullish or like at least um, like investing in or, or pumping stuff that uses Bitcoin outside of like peer to peer transactions. So like 
what was stuff I talked about earlier, the BIP 300 um, side chains, but but also stuff like um, like the, the the NFTs on on Bitcoin, whether it's like uh, stamps or ordinals or stuff like that, they intrinsically add value. And, and like one thing I hate about the Bitcoin community is that there there are like people who are against this because they they consider it network spam they, they they think that like bitcoin should be pure and if people are like fucking with like the witness data on on bitcoin even though that they're paying fees to the bitcoin network that, that you know incentivizes miners incentivizes network security it's like a little blip on their radar that like they get annoyed by and they want to like censor these transactions and stuff like that so yeah i, I feel like bitcoin could be you know, and a much better place right now if it wasn't for a, like the Blockstream, like Luke Dash, and like a lot of the original Bitcoin developers that are so like indoctrinated in their ways of their idealistic belief of Bitcoin without let, like letting it evolve and be more pragmatic. I mean, it's a thing in crypto in general because it's such a new asset class, and all these dynamics and the game theory of it is is so untested and un uh, it's, it hasn't been solved, right? So. People have completely different ideological positions and big blockers, small blockers, you know, they want to for over time things get proven right and get proven wrong. And eventually, hopefully we'll, we'll get to some clean equilibrium. Um, but with that, let's go, uh, let's go to our kind of closing segment, which is uh Dijon of the week. So with JMO here, I'm, uh, I'm already a bit worried because he's, he's been longing into 400 million unlocks. So we might have a hard one to, uh, to compete with, but. Let's see. Um, how about you, Taiki? What, what have you been degening during this sudden uh, bull, fa- bull phase? Yeah, so uh, unfortunately, I feel heavily uh, underexposed BTC. Um, but I do kind of agree with, like, I, I, I don't really see, like, a reason to hold it. Um, and I've been allocating a lot more into, you know, tokenized treasury projects, RWA, uh, that sector. Um, and I actually hold, like, almost zero cash right now. Um, I've been like max deployed into Maker, Canto, and FXS. Um, and, you know, I'm just like letting the thesis play there. Um, I get a lot of pushback uh, whenever I post about it, um, but it makes me think that I'm early. So max long RDBAs. Are you doing like a third, a third each or like? Uh, like mostly, like ha- half of it is like, it's, it's like mostly Maker and then a big bag Canto and then a smaller bag of FXS, but just, yeah, like betting that we're still early innings of like, you know, dollars being yield bearing on chain. Well, it's good that the humble farmer is, uh, is not just in cash, but yeah, in terms of Dijon, that's, okay. that's a, that's a, that's a generous four out of 10. So not... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Taiki, you might lose your streak of winning our, our last segment for the last few couple months, right? Yeah, I, I lost last week too, but yeah, it's my, my winning streak is definitely. I don't dying. know if I've won a single one. let's see maybe today's the day first of all i mean i have to say i've been wrong for the last year you guys have totally been right eth has underperformed i've basically been all all in just eth uh for my crypto portfolio um although i tried to mix it up this week um you know i love jordy jordy's great we all love jordy he's working on mantle i'm super excited about what they're building so i moved a portion of my eth to mantle I borrowed against ETH, swapped that ETH to Mantle, ate like 2% slippage. Um, <laughs> and I basically shorted ETH, longed Mantle, right? So I didn't short the dollar. Now, Jordy is doing great work. Mantle's going up in price. I think it's up like 25% from the day I bought, but it's down in ETH. So I got spooked 
when BTC pumped and ETH went up, you know, just a little bit, I swapped my mantle back to ETH. I ended up just about flat, even after eating 2% slippage or whatever each way. Um, and, uh, you know, I sort of learned my lesson. I'm not much of a trader um, and I've been wrong the past year with ETH. So um, that that's what I got. You did, you did say something that caught my attention, you know, 2% slippage each way. That is Bgen. You're bringing back the whole market of paying <laughs> something. This is pretty good. This is like a seven out of 10. Yeah. The slippage, slippage alone is, is like fantastic. And uh, I, I, the first time I swapped, I didn't set slippage to 0% on uni. I screwed up. I set it to like five bips or something. So I lost uh, a good bit on that too. I learned my lesson though. I used the uh, Flashbots RPC and set slippage to zero when I swapped out. So I'm I'm good now. But it took a you know it takes time to learn these things again. You know I haven't like swapped on Uniswap in so long. Uh, Jmo, any anything Dgen? Um, on on the crypto side of things, um, I well, we talked about it a little bit before, but I, I long dot into a pretty big unlock, but like the funding rates were pretty favorable on my end. Um, I've been pretty heavily long. How did it turn out? I profited quite a bit, but I, I don't know if like I was actually correct because it was at the same time of like the big Bitcoin move and usually like the like smaller layer ones sort of follow Bitcoin whenever Bitcoin moves. Um, it, it didn't outperform Bitcoin, but it, it went up versus USD, which was like with my position. Um, I've been longing Solana a decent amount, although I, I closed out most of it um, uh, recently. I've uh, been pretty heavily long. Uh, I guess short uh, ETH versus Bitcoin. I guess I've I've had that position for a while. Um, although the the, the 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 problem the problem I have is like I I can't get rid of my ETH. Like I I always have just like a ton of ETH, so I'm always net long ETH no matter what. Like I just have you know ETH here, ETH there. I'm I'm, I'm doing something on this chain. That sounds like a pretty uh, first world problem thing to have. <laughs> I'm overflowing with ETH. I just trying to throw it out the window. It just comes back in. I don't know. If you don't know what to do, I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you. The, the, the bull case for ETH is that I, I just have it around everywhere and I can't seem to get rid of it. So it's um, <laughs> there, there isn't much sell pressure coming from me. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I've cases. been, I, I've actually, I've actually been degening pretty hard into Mantle and Mantle ecosystem stuff, just because, like, I like Jordy, I like the people involved with the team. Um, so, so I've, I've been aping in a few, like, kind of suspect, like, sub seven figure TVL protocols, just to see what's going on there. I'm mean, not sure exactly how they work, or you know, if they're rugs or who's behind them. I just have to point out how ironic this is where, you know, 40 minutes ago, you were saying how no one's doing any of this stuff anymore, but here you are, you're buying Mantle, you're deploying the seven-figure TBL Mantle protocols. There's demand out there for on-chain. I'm, I'm telling you. It's it's basically just me, I think. I, I think I'm the only <laughs> one out there on the, on the Mantle streets. Like, uh, I, 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 deploy, I, I, I don't want to dox my addresses, but I remember deploying in one pool. And I looked. I didn't look at the TVL, but I, I looked at the protocol TVL, but I didn't look at like the pool TVL. And I, it was like 100% um, APY, and and, and, I, and I ape in some, and then like I refreshed the page, and it was down to 4% APY. I'm like, oh, that's, 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 that's not great. Um, but other than that, I, I have like one of the bigger. I don't know. It's probably the biggest sports bet of my life. I, I bet um, my buddy high stakes cap, uh, notorious crypto trader in 
there's a boxing match, uh, Francis Ngannou, who's not a boxer, versus Tyson Fury, who is like the best heavyweight boxer like in the past decade. Um, I, I laid pretty big odds, but I have like a, a high six-figure amount on Tyson Fury, and I hope I don't lose that. That would be that would be kind of brutal. So that's kind of degen on my part, I guess. That's like a Mayweather versus uh, versus. Uh... Irish guy. Uh. I, I I think it is. I think it is. Although the, the, the odds were like a little bit worse here. Like I, I, I got him, I had to lay around like six and a half to one. Although like if you bet on a sports book, it's, it's almost like 15 to one now. So I, I, I got it in good, but you're sweating. You're sweating. Is he a MMA fighter? Uh, yeah, he, he's, he, he, he's an MMA fighter. Yeah. I, I don't see how he wins, but you know, anything can happen. All right. Well, that's uh, you took the safe side, so uh, that's not that degen. Because you know, if you took the other guy, you took the world champion. So yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll have to revisit it next week and and maybe pull up a highlight of the fight if if someone gets knocked out or something. Oh, oh, oh man, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not coming back if I lose that bet. I'm bad luck here. <laughs> we'll have to put Demo's face on top of Tyson Fury if he gets knocked out. Do you have something, Jordy, or no? I don't know if it matches Jamo. I think uh, you know. I, I'm, I'm always watching the Koreans, and and I love I love their degenness. And I noticed uh, there was a huge, huge Mina pump. So Mina is this like Alt L1 privacy ZK, you know, with like an ultralight uh, block block size that's been around a long time and hasn't been doing much. There hasn't been much that's been able to build on there. But you know, this week uh, it went down. People couldn't transact. And Koreans love it. Like we talked about before, when when you when you close the doors and nobody can can send coins freely, they start shipping it up. And it went from I think like 30, 30, 40 cents to two dollars fifty on uh, on some of the Korean exchanges, and even on Binance, it went up to a dollar. Uh, so it you know went up hundreds of percent. So I went full max long as to what I, I kind of hit like the exchange limits. You know, at some point, like they cap you on, on the amount of open interest. Uh, around like 90, 90 cents, just kind of waiting for, I knew at some point they would fix this chain. The coin, it, it was very bullish because the coins couldn't move. They're all stuck. So nobody could do anything. But as soon as <laughs> there's free transactions and yeah, that that worked out pretty nicely. There was, uh, it's been it's been down down to the 60s now. So it was a, uh, a profitable Degen play. You, you went max short, you mean? You said max long. Max short, max short, yeah. I think the same thing happened to Aptos in like the past week, right? The, the the chain went down for like six hours or something. Yeah, this was longer. Uh, you you really couldn't get coins in. I think for you know almost uh, twelve to eighteen hours, and um, the funding rates obviously, you know, this is how they they kind of get you when you're trying to short. They they start by saying, okay, two percent max short, and then in the middle, in the middle of the window, they increase it to like three percent. And then they say, okay, it's 4%. And then they say, we're moving it from eight win eight hour window to four hour window. So you go from like paying like, you know, 50% APY to paying like 500% or I don't know, it's like 1200. The APY is is very high on the short. <laughs> and it feels like changing the changing the rules like in the middle of the game, which is a bit annoying, but you know, that's 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 the price you have to pay sometimes. Yeah. So I, I would say uh JMO as a guest, even though I feel like, you know. Uh, Justin with the slippage and I, I took a, I took a pretty pretty large funding rate to try to short this thing but you are the degen of the week James All right, let's go <laughs> thanks for joining us um, it was a pleasure and uh, hopefully everybody else enjoyed it 
and yeah, follow JMO at Cunty Cakes. He's very entertaining. He has his own podcast as well. Yeah, we actually have some. Uh, I, I feel like I should chill my own podcast here. I, I do it just for fun. Like I'm not selling anything there. Like um, uh, I just know a bunch of people in the crypto space that are interesting, and it's like nice to record stuff and talk with them about. And I saw you did a uh, you, you did one on the trial with Zane uh, Zane from F that. Yeah, we got my buddy Zane Tackett, who is head of institutional sales at FTX. Any any highlight you could you could share from that interview? Yeah, I don't I don't want to reveal too much, but uh, well, let me think. Um, How about those Thai hookers? Were they were they really Thai hookers? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. So so the story about um, like the whole OKX trade where um, Almeida was buying up like the locked OKX balances or uh, Zane actually corrected me and said that that's not exactly what they were doing. But somehow they had like a billion dollars locked in accounts on OKX. And what what they tried to do was make new KYC accounts. And it came out in court that it was they were hiring like Thai prostitutes to do the KYC to be the counterparties of the trades to to move the funds out. But uh, Zane told me that they were Indonesian and only a few of them were prostitutes. Like a lot of them weren't actually prostitutes. So there's a little bit of like like embellishment going on in the the SBF case. It sounds like um, Michael. And then I, 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 I'm recording another one tomorrow. Um, with uh, Athena, which is um, the uh, Dragonfly Capital and, and Arthur Hayes funded uh, new stablecoin project where they're, they're basically creating a delta neutral Ethereum vault by depositing a certain amount of Ethereum on like uh, Lido ST ETH and then shorting the perpetuals and like issuing stablecoins with like real yield on there. So I'm going to interview them about how their protocol works and what they're looking to do. So I feel like those are going to be out in the next like week or two. Awesome. Cool. Well, hope, uh, hope everybody can enjoy those as well. And thanks for joining us. See you next week, guys.